Good morning, my name is Wes McKay and I'm the senior pastor and one of the elders here at Crosspoint. And again, I want to extend my welcome to you, uh, MDO teachers and families. Thank you, for, um, thank you for serving this city and for serving us so well. Uh, I'm appreciative of you and what you do. I hope that I've uh, made that very clear that I don't think that, uh, I don't think of you as a staff or just a group of teachers. I actually think of you as ministry partners and that we have a great opportunity here on campus four days a week where we get kids from all over the city from all different backgrounds and we have an opportunity to make an impact for the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is part of our mission statement here at Crosspoint, which members can say if you would just, um, you know, if you'll engage me for a second, Crosspoint members, uh, our mission statement is that we exist to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. And one of the ways that we try and do that here at Crosspoint is through our MDO program. And so I, I just, I'm just, again, incredibly thankful for what you do and who, not just what you do, but who you are as people. And I want to thank you on f just allowing me to be a part of your ministry here as well. I'm appreciative and on behalf of our congregation, we are thankful for you. So... Thank you for joining us today as we're working through the book of Exodus, and we've only been in the book of Exodus for a couple weeks now. Um, <laughs> turn to Exodus 34. <laughs> we've been in Exodus for a year and a half now, and uh, we're about to make our own Exodus out of this book, but um, we're, we're slowly making progress. So we'll be in Exodus chapter 34, verses 10 through 28. And uh, once you find your place there in, uh, in the Scriptures, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Exodus 34, verses 10 through 28. It says this, And he said, Behold, I'm making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I have commanded you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land of, to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and, sacrifices, and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of a sacrifice. And you take of the daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time, appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. 
Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leaven, or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets of the words of the covenant the Ten Commandments. Let's pray. God, this is your word. Every single word, every single line of it is inspired by you, God, directed by you, orchestrated by you. And so, God, because it is from you, our God of the heavens and the earth, it is authoritative for our lives, and we must obey it, God. And so I pray now that, God, you would help us see the mysteries and the glories that are contained in it, and that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, and that, God, through your word, God, working in us by your spirit, we would put sin to death. It would have no reign in our mortal bodies, O oh God, but that we would kill it so that we can pursue righteousness and holiness for your namesake. God, help us now. By the work of the Holy Spirit, illuminate what is here for us. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Let me ask just by a show of hands, have any of you couples uh, have ever renewed your vows? Anybody willing to admit to it? Um, you might be embarrassed that you've done it. A couple people in here. Uh, re vow renewal ceremonies are uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful things, right? Beautiful time to come together, have a ceremony to reaffirm the commitment that you made many years ago, maybe, right? Many people typically do this after many years of faithful faithfulness to one another. And uh, they come together and they reaffirm the vows that they made when maybe they were young together. Reaffirming, saying, we're going to keep these things. We're going to continue doing what we've always done so far, right? So after many years of faithfulness, they reaffirm the commitment that they've made to one another. Well, Exodus 34, 10 through 28, what we just read, is not your typical vow renewal ceremony, right? It's kind of different. And there's a big reason for that is that it is a covenant renewal ceremony, but it's initiated by God with Israel, but it's after an act of great unfaithfulness by Israel. Uh, if you haven't been here with us, or if you want to try and recall this, uh, something significant happened in the relationship between Israel and God in Exodus 32. They had just made a covenant with God. They had just started their relationship and it didn't take many chapters in for them to make a golden calf and start worshiping another god, right? Start worshiping an idol. And so they broke the covenant there. They broke the commitment. They broke the relationship with God. Now God has shown them mercy. He's shown them grace and forgiveness. And he's saying, I'm going to reaffirm the commitment that I made to you, a covenant renewal ceremony here. So it's kind of unique. It's not like your typical vow renewal ceremony. God is the one who has been cheated on, yet he is the one who's saying, I want to reaffirm the commitment that I've made to you, even though you've been unfaithful to me. And so that's what we're going to see today, just in these couple of verses here, is that God is committing himself again, recommitting himself again to his people. And then in that, 
He is commanding their allegiance and devoted worship to Him. And so we're just going to look at one point today, one point with two subpoints. Is that Exodus 34, 10 through 28 is all about the terms of the covenant. It's all about the agreement that God makes with Israel. And we're familiar with agreements, right, in terms of agreements, right? Let me just ask, is there anybody in here that, you know, we all know when we sign up for iTunes or something like that, what pops up right before you, you, you're able to sign in? The terms of the agreement. Now, let me just ask you this, and don't be embarrassed. We're not going to make fun of you long enough. Um, who, who reads through those? Just ask. Come on. Well, a couple people in here. You read every single word, every single phrase in there, because you want to know what you're signing up for, right? Now, by show of hands, who are those people who say, okay, agree to the terms? Haven't read it. Wow, despicable. Despicable. You don't even know what you're agreeing to. You could have just agreed to give off your first child, and you would never know, right? No, we just passed through that, right? We say, man, I don't care. It's not important. Whatever. They can have whatever. I just want to listen to music. That's all I want to do, right? And so, but those agreements can be very wordy. They're very detailed. They're very specific about the terms and about what people are committing to, what you're committing to, and what they're committing to you on their behalf. And that's kind of what we're seeing here in Exodus 34, 10 through, 30, uh, 10 through 28, is that God is outlining the terms of the agreement, the terms of the covenant, being very detailed about what he expects of his people and who he's going to be for his people. And so we're going to look at just these two points, God's commitment to Israel and Israel's commitment to God. This is the terms of the covenant. This is the terms of the agreement. What is expected by both parties? And so just look at the first couple of verses here in Exodus 34, 10 and 11, is that this is all about God's commitment in verses 10 and 11. The reason you know that is this, is it says a lot of I, what I'm going to do. I will do this. I will do this. I will make this. I will do this, right? This is all God's side of the agreement, what he's going to do for Israel. Lots of eyes. The second section, 12 through 26, will be filled with lots of yous, which is what Israel is expected to do. But this is what God is saying. This is who I'm going to be, and this is what I'm going to do for you. Is that He's going to first, He's going to make a covenant with them. That's what He says. You broke the covenant, but I'm going to make, I'm going to renew the covenant with you in verse 10. I am making a covenant. Behold, all your people I will do marvels before. And so he is reestablishing the covenant, reaffirming his commitment to them. Everything that he said in Exodus 20, chapter 20, you know, through chapter 23, he's saying, all that still stands. I'm still standing by the commitment that I made to you, right? And not only that, is that he goes even further in verse 10 and 11. He says, I'm going to make a, commit, uh, a covenant with you, reaffirm that. But I'm also going to do amazing things among you and through you and in you so that all the nations around you are going to see how glorious a God you worship. That's what he says, verse 11. I will do marvels such as not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, 
for it's an awesome thing that I will do for you. So God is going to continue, despite their unfaithfulness, God is going to continue to use Israel to show His glory to the nations. A unfaithful partner. God is still going to use them despite their brokenness, despite their sinfulness, despite their unfaithfulness to God. Now let me just say this, isn't that all of our stories, right? If we're in Christ Jesus. Is that God is always using broken, sinful people to declare His glory to the world. There is not a case or a scenario where God is using a human being in this world that is not broken, that is not sinful. That's all of our story. This is what God's always doing. He's always using broken, unfaithful, simple people so that God Himself will be the only one who would get the glory. Not us, right? This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, I took the weak things in the world to shame the strong. I took the foolish things in the world to shame the wise so that no person can boast on the face of the planet, only that God could get the glory. So that's why God uses sinful people like us to declare His glory and majesty to the nations so that we would get no glory for it, that only God would. But isn't it incredible that He does it? Is that He could give up on Israel and say, I'm not using you. You are a broken, sinful people giving up. But He says, no, I'm going to reaffirm the covenant with you and I will still continue to use you. This is what God promises His people. Not only that, is that He promises them protection. Right? He said, you're going to journey on. You're going to go through all the Izites that you're going to see all over the lands. And I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guard you. I'm going to drive them out. So he's not revoking his protection there. Is that he is staying committed to what he said from the very beginning. And man, let, let's just think about this. Church, Christian. Isn't this so reassuring for us? Isn't this so reassuring? What God is recommitting himself to that he already committed it's reassuring that God's commitment in the relationship that we have with him is never in question God's side of the agreement is never in question he will always remain faithful to what he has said that is who he is when we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself first Timothy 2 13 so there is never any question so the great confidence that you can have, Christian, the great assurance that you can have is that in Christ Jesus, God will never give up on His commitment to you. Despite your brokenness, despite your sinfulness, despite your failure, despite your sin, iniquity, and transgression, God will not give up on His side of the agreement. There is nothing that can be done. Paul says in Romans 8.38, For I am sure of this, that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present and things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Remember this. Despite what you've done, despite what you do, despite what you will do, God's commitment to us, to His people, will not change. And man, shouldn't that get you out of bed in the morning? Man, God's love for us in Christ Jesus will not change. The question is not about God's commitment to us. It's always about our commitment to Him. Will we be committed to Him? And this is the point that's addressed in 12 through 26. Is God says, here's what I'm going to do, but I'm also going to expect something from you. 
your commitment to me. And this is what he says, and I just want to break this up for you real quick. In 12 through 26, he says two things. He says, there's two things that I'm going to expect from you. Allegiance and worship. Can y'all say that with me? What's the first one? What's the second one? It's the two things, right? And so, for the most part, verses 11 through 26 sound just like what he said earlier in Exodus chapters 20 through 23. The same expectations. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, right? But there's an emphasis here in these verses. And the emphasis is about idolatry and worshiping other gods and pledging your allegiance to other gods and making other gods for yourself. Now, why would God have to say that? Why is that new here in Exodus 34? Well, it's new because Israel's had a problem with it, right? Just two chapters earlier. He wouldn't have to say it if it wasn't already a problem. This is the very reason we have warning labels on things, right? You know, I was looking up some odd warning labels on products this past week, which is the kind of stuff that a normal pastor Googles. And um, a couple of warning labels that came up was one on a, um, a Dremel rotary tool. Maybe some of the guys might be here uh, might be familiar, but on this Dremel rotary tool, there, the warning label says it's not to be used as a dental drill. Okay, never had the thought to use one, but now I kind of want to, right? Another one this, this is for the ladies in here, on a hair dryer. Do not use while sleeping. Now look, I don't know all the things that have to be done to a lady's hair, but I'm sure drying it while you're sleeping is not the way to do that. Here's my last one, favorite one. I think it's probably written for people like me. This one's on a chainsaw. It says, do not hold the wrong side of the chainsaw. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. People write warning labels for a reason. You know why? Because somebody's done it, and they don't want to be liable for that one dummy, right? And so, warning labels are there because it's a problem, right? And the same thing is here, is that all these instructions about not going after gods, not sacrificing to other gods, not making for yourself gods of cast metal. Why would God say all these things? Why would he say don't do these things? Because Israel has an innate problem to go after other gods, to make gods of their own, to make idols for themselves. The same thing is with us, church. I hope we need to hear these things. We still have the same inclinations and proclivities to make our own idols, whether that be money, fame, sex, pride, whatever it is, is that we still have the same inclinations as Israel, and we still have to be warned of it today in the 21st century. It may not be like making a golden calf, but it looks very similar. We must be warned about this. And so he warns them, and he says, don't make a covenant with any of them. What he's saying is, don't make a covenant with them. Make a covenant with me. Keep your side of the agreement with me. Don't, don't make a covenant with other gods, right? He's prohibiting them from serving two masters, because that's what they're going to try and do. Hey, I can covenant with Yahweh, but also can covenant with Baal, or the God of Molech, and do all those things. No, he says you can't serve two masters. You have to have exclusive allegiance to me. That's the first word that he demands of them, allegiance. You have to be solely committed to me. Jesus will bring up this point. No one can serve two masters, right? 
And Israel can't do that either. And he goes on to say this. He goes on to tell them, you know, break down, tear down the altars. This is verse 13. Break their pillars, cut down their asherim. This is all their kind of their memorabilia for worship, right? That they designate to other gods and use for their worship practices. And he says, in order to maintain exclusive allegiance and commitment to me, you have to destroy these things. Because if you allow these things to continue to exist and you continue to use them, they will continue to lead you astray. Even their very presence among you will lead you astray into false worship is that even having them says that you're not fully committed to Yahweh. I'll give you an example. I've used this example with our church here before. But let's say that you're newly married, and you just bought a house. Maybe remember that day that you were newly married. And you just bought a house, and so you're bringing all your stuff in. You, you know, she's bringing her stuff in, he's bringing his stuff in, and you all start decorating together. And uh, one of you starts hanging up pictures of your exes. Ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, whatever it may be. Putting them up there. Da, 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 da. Now, after this is a murder scene, let's just go ahead and analyze this real quick. Because it's going to be a murder scene. Is that one of the spouses says, um, I think that's a problem? Putting up your, why, why, why do you have pictures of your ex, why are you hanging up pictures of your ex-girlfriend you know, in, in the house? He said, well, if this don't work out, I just want, want to keep them on the, on the side, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're great. I love you. You're great. But just in case, right? Right? Just in case, you know, want to keep them around. Now, again, that's a problem, right? I think all people, married or not married, can see, yeah, that would cause some, that would cause a marital dispute, right? And the problem comes back to exactly what, it, what God's telling Israel. To even have these remnants of pillars and asherim poles is basically saying, you know what, I love you, God, but I, just in case I want to go back or in case I want to, you know, commit my, you know, keep Molech or Baal or whatever, God, I, I just want to have them on the side just in case I need them. That is not soul allegiance. That is not soul commitment. That is not giving up. Our past, and that's what repentance and faith requires of the Christian. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling to follow Jesus. It's a struggle for you right now. And maybe it's a struggle for you right now because you are trying desperately to hold on to your past life and your past ways and your sin at the same time of trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to have your cake and eat it too. Church, let me say this, if you're truly in Christ Jesus, you cannot hold on to your past life. You cannot hold on to your former way of life and the things of the flesh and the world and the devil. Those have to be put to death. Is that what Hebrews 12, 1-2 says this, We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so closely clings, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look, if you are struggling with following Jesus right now, maybe some of your problem is, is that you really don't want to give up your old ways of when you worshipped idols and other gods before Jesus. 
And let me just say this, you will never be able to be solely committed to Jesus if you do not put to death your old way of life and give up on it. You must do that. And so God requires exclusive allegiance, and here's the reason. He says the reason in verse 14 of why He, why he requires this. And you might find this a little provoking. How could God be this way? Verse 14. He says this, the reason I require exclusive allegiance is because I'm a, what kind of God? A jealous God. Now, we don't like to hear the word jealous, right? We think about jealousy, and that's not, that's not a good feature, right? It's not a good feature to having people, to be jealous people. Well, let me just say this. God's jealousy in the Bible is not the same as our jealousy here on this earth. We are jealous about all the wrong things. God is jealous rightly. He's jealous rightly. It's His zeal to always do right. God's jealousy is his, is his right to have holy zeal to protect His name, His character, His reputation, His fame, His glory that is easily and flippantly disparaged by people through the worshiping of idols. So it is right for God to be jealous to protect His name and His glory from those who would trample upon it through idolatry. And so... We, Israel, is required to give exclusive allegiance to God, but not only that, they are also called in verses 17 through 26 to worship God, devotion. The agreements of the covenant is not just about do's and don'ts. It also requires devotion. They are to devote themselves to God by maintaining their worship of God. And you, we read the list, if you heard it. They do it through... Uh, they. De- They keep their devotion to God through worship by keeping the feast and the Sabbaths and the firstborn rites and all these things. And and I know the one that you all struggle with, boiling a baby goat in its mother's milk. Uh, Look, I don't know if I need to make this application, but don't do that, right? If anybody's struggling with that right now. But all these things are worship practices, what we're reading in 17 through 26. Is that this is the way that we show our worship and devotion to God. It's through these things what Israel's saying. And so these practices didn't save Israel by keeping these. It demonstrated that Yahweh had saved them. And now by keeping the feast and the Sabbaths, Sabbaths and all these things, it was their way to identify themselves as people of God, as people who are worshipers of God. And I would say, how do we do that today? How do you continue to identify that we are Christ's people? Well, it's the same answer that it was in Israel, through worship. Through personal worship, through our quiet times, readings, prayer, evangelism, missions, all these different things. This is one way that we worship God, giving, whatever it may be. That's one way that we say that we are Christ's people. Not only that, it's through corporate worship, through gathering together, corporately, weekly, to worship God. That's how we identify ourselves as Christ's people. That's why the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24-25, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me ask you this. If you're a Christian in here this morning, what does your worship look like right now? What does your personal and corporate worship look like? Does it look like you identify with Christ? Does it look like God is your God? 
Or do you consider all the other things that take up your time, energy, resources, money? Who is your God? And the way to answer that question is, who do you worship personally and corporately? These are the stipulations of the covenant. These are what God has said. This is the agreement. I will do this for you and you will be committed to me. I will commit myself to you and you will be committed to me. Here's the good news, church. God is always going to keep his side of the covenant. God is always going to keep his side of the covenant. Here's the bad news. We have not kept our side of the covenant. We have broken it repeatedly, willingly, voluntarily, knowingly. We have not been committed ourselves to the Lord. We have not given Him sole allegiance. We have not devoted ourselves in worship to Him. We have sinned by not being solely committed to Him and worshiping Him alone. We have fashioned our own idols to worship and to give our time and energy and money to. And that is a problem. Because what God has already declared about Himself in Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is that He is a God who will by no means clear the guilty. So if we're the guilty, we're the ones who have broken the side of the covenant. We are the ones who have not kept our commitment to Him. What are we going to do? The good news is this. That God is a merciful, gracious, compassionate, steadfast, loving kindness, abundant in love, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's who God is. And so the bad news is we, each of us in here, have broken the covenant and deserve death, punishment, and hell by God from, for it. But the good news is this, that God has done something about our covenant breaking by sending Christ Jesus, His Son, to bear the penalty for our sin for us. This is the good news that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and He has commanded us to worship and obey Him. We have not. We have failed and sinned and deserve death, hell, and punishment for it. But God has sent Christ Jesus to die the death that we deserve and has been raised from the dead, ascended on the high. And for all those who put their faith in Christ Jesus, who repent of their sins and trust in Him and commit themselves to Him, He will forgive and wipe away their transgression and sin. That is the good news the story of Paul is this. Though I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and a full, deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This morning, you may need that grace and forgiveness and mercy and you will only find it in Christ Jesus. We are the covenant breakers. He is the covenant faithful God who gives Christ the Son to save covenant breakers and sinners. Let's pray. God, I thank You for this day. Thank You for Your Word that You've given us. Thank You that You are a faithful covenant God who keeps His Word. 
Thank you for the gospel in Jesus Christ, who we were the chiefest of sinners, but Christ came and died to save us from those sins. Lord, I pray, help us to be commit ourselves in worship and allegiance to you. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen.